Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Hello, Canada. Uh, today's date is May 25th. 2020. It's Tony here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in British Columbia. How are you, my friend? I don't know. Every uh, every time you ask me that, it seems to be the same answer. And I'm angry. <laughs> well, uh, I guess that's, that's why we do this show, so we can vent some of our anger out there. So uh, let's get right to it then. I think what I want to do first is uh, perhaps this will actually cheer you up a little bit or or make you angrier lewis um so canada anybody who's been listening to our show for a while um knows that lewis's catchphrase probably could be i don't want to be right well uh i'm too lazy to go through archives of the show but it was back later in march earlier in april um on one of our shows lewis and i had a discussion and i threw the question out of left field at him and you remember you'll remember this lewis i asked so lewis do you think this whole wuhan virus was biological warfare on china's part do you remember your answer i do it was yes <laughs> yep it was yes and uh and your proof for that was to say well look people in hong kong were protesting there was protests elsewhere in china and suddenly this wuhan virus comes along and all the protests stop. So we look at what's going on in Hong Kong now. And did you want to be right, Lewis, by the way? No, no, I did not. I would really have loved to have been wrong. But were you wrong in this case? No, I wasn't. You weren't wrong. So those people who want to blame us for having or accuse us of having some tinfoil hats on, uh, there was no conspiracy involved. China really was engaging in biological warfare on their own citizens as a way to further oppress the people of Hong Kong and elsewhere. And if you want to see the proof, well, look at what has just happened recently. And uh, Lewis, you granted about this on the weekend. I uh, would actually would, wouldn't mind if you would just expand on that just a little bit. Well, and to be fair, uh, you just said that there was no conspiracy. It is a conspiracy. It's it's uh, a conspiracy is when people conspire to uh, to achieve something, right? And uh, so this is a conspiracy. It's not a conspiracy theory. It, it is an actual conspiracy. Um, Good point. So yeah. So what's happening? is China has declared any protests and uh, mass gatherings as uh, terrorist acts. And this would open up the ability for China just to send the military in into Hong Kong if there is a, uh, a protest against China basically annexing Hong Kong. And uh, so there is absolutely no way for anyone in Hong Kong to protest or speak out against what is happening there 
without being uh, arrested, which is basically the same laws they have on mainland China. Correct. Yep. And now the international community has rallied together to condemn the Chinese for these actions. The Americans have actually sent a fair number of submarines into the South China Sea and Canada joining in lockstep with the world has condemned China's actions and said, we will not stand for the, Oh, wait a minute. Canada's reaction was what again? Uh, we will watch with interest. Right. Yes. Ooh, that has got to have President Xi shaking in his boots. Oh, yeah. Canada is watching with interest. Oh my God! No, not that. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we've got we've got how many countries around the world that are condemning this, coming right out and saying we we condemn what China is doing. And we've actually got countries that are uh, making political and military moves just in case they need to step in. Well, and I believe there's also a movement afoot to uh, impose sanctions upon China for this as well, like economic sanctions. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, for God's sake, why weren't we imposing economic sanctions over COVID-19? Why is it exactly? Take, why does it take this... Uh, to, to have countries do that. I mean, China just infected the world with a virus and is killing hundreds of thousands of people around the world with this virus. And there's been no economic sanctions. Like, yeah, no, just think, yeah, I mean, consider when ISIS formed, and, you know, as an example, and you know, started the, you know, the, the third caliphate that they, uh, as they proclaimed it. And the world said, no, we're not putting up with this. We're not putting up with your persecution. We're not putting up with your destruction, etc." And granted, ISIS is just a, you know, as Obama had said, junior varsity. And compared to China, of course they are. But, I mean, as you say, there should, there's no reason that China shouldn't have had economic sanctions for declaring war on its own people as they've been doing for decades already. Uh, but in this case, it was biological warfare. And now they are clamping down on Hong Kong, like the dictators that they are. And it really ticks me off that the reaction from Canada is just crickets. I mean, yeah. we all know that Justin Trudeau is an inept leader. That's, that's never been a question right from the time he was elected. What really bothers me is that not only is he inept, he is losing face for Canada on the world stage. People don't take Canada seriously anymore. And why should they? Because we've got a clown as our prime minister. And the last polling that we saw done um, showed that only 14% of Canadians have a positive view of China right now. And, and Trudeau won't even condemn their actions. I mean, give the, give the conservative leadership candidates uh, kudos here because they came out and they officially condemned China. Um, but, yeah, but the the government won't do it. Like the government is just saying we're we're watching with interest. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the, I mean watching with interest. That I don't even know what that means, honestly. Like, uh, I mean, is there possibly a weaker statement he could make? It's absolutely embarrassing to me. It is. 
Like I, I'm embarrassed of my government uh, of, I mean, yeah, you know, I've never been happy with Trudeau. I've never been happy with the liberals, but, and there have been times where they have done embarrassing things, but right now I'm actually, I'm completely ashamed of our government. And well, you should be. And there's more reasons to be ashamed of our, of our federal government, which we will get into later in the show. But, uh, the, but their reaction, I mean, they've, there's dropping the ball. And then there's this, this is beyond just dropping the ball in my opinion. Oh, this is willful. Um, I guess willful ignorance wouldn't be the term, but this is, this is willful, uh, uh, Oh God, I don't even know what to call it, but it's, it's not even ineptitude because ineptitude would, in, would in, insinuate that it's, that, that they can't help it. It, it, that it's a mistake that they, that they didn't mean to do because they're incompetent. This is, this is much, much worse. This is like knowingly, uh, standing back. I mean, they, they're, they're just, they don't want to anger China. And that's what this is all about is they, they don't want to anger China. They don't want to upset China. And it's like, you know, why, why is China so goddamn important to Trudeau? Well, actually there is an answer for that. And, uh, most people know the philosopher Voltaire. Voltaire once said that, you will know who controls you by who you are and are not allowed to criticize. Yes. And you'd, is, you'd reference in the, your, it's one of the all time great quotes. It is. Yeah. And you reference that, not the quote, but you reference the reason behind what, what I'm just about to say in your rant on the weekend. And that is that China owns so many industries in Canada. And as we pointed out on the weekend, they're about to own a, a gold mine in Nunavut and Mr. Trudeau is more than happy to let them have it. Yeah. And it's like, like why I, would you keep selling us off to China? I can't understand how the federal government is standing by and letting that happen. Oh, it's ridiculous, especially a gold mine because that gold is going to get shipped right back to China, more economic power for China. Yeah. I mean, cause I was just looking at a, at a, at a chart on the weekend that shows how how many how many gold reserves each country in the world has and the us is at the top with over 8000 imperial or sorry uh, yeah imperial tons of gold uh, there is and then the second is china with like just over 2000 tons of gold so the us has four times the gold reserves that china has and China's second. And then and then it just goes down from there to the point where Canada's not even on the list. Like we we have like Trudeau in the last since he took power in Canada. I mean granted it started with back back with uh Mulroney I think. He started selling off our gold reserves and it continued with Chan. and unfortunately it did continue with Harper. Harper uh, sold off a bunch of our gold reserves at a quicker rate than anybody prior to him. And then 
Trudeau blew that out of the water and said, oh, hold my beer and sold almost all of our remaining gold reserves. And yep. this comes on the uh, right before a an economic disaster, which, yes, you couldn't see that coming, but everybody who pays any kind of attention to the uh, world economic situation and world economic problems and knows anything about uh, the problems and pitfalls of a fiat currency because fiat currency, which is what we have, we don't have gold standard uh, uh, currency anymore. We haven't had that since the early 70s. And so the world works on fiat currency. Fiat currency is is destined to fail. It will eventually collapse just by the way it works. Your money is only worth something if you're selling debt. So countries like, look at the US, $2 trillion deficits and, and that, but their dollar was sky high in value because people were investing in the US dollar by buying bonds. Well, that's when you buy bonds, you're buying government debt. And so what we've got is every single country in the world going further and further and further and further into debt to the point where the entire worldwide financial systems are going to collapse. They're going to implode. And yeah, something has to replace it. And that is most likely going to be the gold standard again. Gold-backed currency is going to make a return when fiat currencies collapse. And that's this got sped up a bit with COVID-19, but that's what's happening. Yeah, well, and actually, it's good you mentioned the debt crisis. Uh, the latest polling from Ipsos, actually, it said that Canadians had made somewhat of an improvement, quote-unquote, if you want to call it that, that now only 49% of Canadians are $200 or less away from being able to pay their bills each month. Now, bear in mind, this poll was done a couple of weeks ago. So right oh, no, now, that's, only that's only half of us broke. That's not an exactly, yeah. It was Exactly, yeah. It was 48% before. Yeah, exactly. So now we're one percentage more. and yeah. But that was before, you know, people are now going to have to figure out where they're their June rent is coming from. And yes, there's a CERB, and we've talked about some of the problems with the uh, Canadian Emergency Response Benefit. But when you have half your population who's broke, how the hell are you going to have any kind of economic recovery? No, you're not going to. And and, the, and here's the thing. That the CURB program uh, is, is actually worse than... I think it's actually making... It's exacerbating the problem because totally I, I know around here there are all kinds of help wanted ads and they can't even get a single applicant. No, because they, the people are afraid that if they make $1,000 a month or $1,000 in one, then they will get cut off of the emergency response benefit. But yeah. they're not looking far enough ahead because that response benefit is going to run out eventually, August, and yep. then suddenly they will need those jobs. 
Yeah, they will. And it, it, but the problem is, is that like businesses aren't even able to open now that they're allowed to, they aren't even allowed. They can't even open. I know of a business that can't even open because they can't get an employee. They can't even get someone to apply for the job. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, and and I'm telling you, it's not because people are afraid to go to work because I on the weekend here, nobody was afraid to go out. Like, right. There was all kinds of people out and nobody was afraid. And uh, so you can't tell me that this is because people are afraid to go to work. No, it's because they're getting two thousand dollars of free money every month and they don't have to go to, to work to get it. That's right. And uh, I was actually told by, by someone I know that they, one of their closest friends, them and their husband are both collecting EI and curb at the same time. Oh, well that's okay. If that, that's just a little bit of fraud. Justin Trudeau is okay with that. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. But I mean, eventually, eventually, I mean, even Justin Trudeau said it, they will be investigated late after the fact, like these red flags will be investigated after the fact. Well, I really hope that these people, uh, you know, get caught and get nailed to the wall over this. I mean, I'm just getting sick and tired of the way people think that money is free, that whatever the government gives them, it's free. I mean, it isn't. It isn't. I mean, like Canada at the end of this year is going to be is going to have a national debt of over a trillion dollars. And the amount of money the government has to pay in interest on that is unfathomable. I believe the latest figure I heard was that it's going to be about 12 percent of Canada's GDP is going to go to servicing debt next year. That's unbelievable. Isn't it? I mean, that, that, that's crazy. And our, with, our, unfortunately, our, our GDP is what, $2 trillion? Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah. But it's expected so, to shrink, of course. So, so 12% of that is $240 million? $240 billion. Oh, sorry. $240 billion. That is. Unbelievable. That is a quarter of what the national debt is going to be, is going to be getting paid to interest. Yep. That's crippling. That's healthcare that we're not going to be getting. That's roads and bridges that aren't going to be getting built. That's right. Like this is, and this is why I think, okay, get ready. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Canada <laughs> and Tony, here's one more thing I hope I'm wrong about. This is, this is the prediction of all predictions. In five years, Canada will no longer exist. Not as we know it. It's we, whether it is an East-West divide or it's multiple uh, countries like the like multiple provinces have left to become different countries. Whether it's Quebec is on its own, the Maritimes are on their own, Ontario's on their own, and the West is all together, or whatever. We this is not 
this country will not be what it is in five years. And, and here's, I know you want to jump in. Let me finish. I do. <laughs> okay, let, <laughs> let, let me finish my prediction. I don't want to be right about this. I want to be wrong. But here's what's going to happen. This fall slash winter slash spring, every, every economist who knows their stuff, whether it's Michael Campbell, Peter Schiff, or any of these other really well-known guys, many of which predicted the 2008 world economic crash, are saying that this fall slash winter slash spring, we will be seeing hyperinflation. And for those of you who don't know what hyperinflation is, hyperinflation is when our dollar becomes worthless and the cost of everything skyrockets. And if that happens, Canada will no longer be able to service its debt. And the economic and financial crisis in this country, because not only will the federal government not be able to service its debt, the provinces won't be able to service their debts. The cities won't be able to service their debts and Canadians won't be able to service their debts. And if that happens, this entire country implodes and we break off into pieces and we, we either begin new countries or we get swallowed up by other countries such as the United States. And it could happen that the United States breaks up as well, but far less likely considering that they own most of the gold reserves in the world. The U.S. government has over 8,000 tons of gold. So they've got something that no other country in the world has. And so they could survive this. And we might end up Western Canada may end up joining them. And like I said, I hope I'm wrong, but that's my prediction. All right. Well, Canada, allow me to retort. (laughs) (laughs) Now I, uh, I did actually hear an interview with Michael Campbell and maybe this is what you're referring to because he actually did say, yeah, we hyperinflation is on its way. He made a very good case for it, and I, I actually, I, I believe him. I agree with him. Um, as far as will Canada break up within in the within five years or in five years? As much as I actually want for that to be the case, because I would like nothing more than for Western Canada to become its own nation. I have to ask either A, was it really sunny today, or B, have you been drinking since you got home? <laughs> Just. <laughs> I'm just, I just, just curious. Like I, uh, I want to go down the road with you as far as I would like nothing more than to see Canada divide up into the four, even five nations that it currently is already. But I don't see it happening. Like there's, there certainly is no political will or appetite for it, no matter how much we hope for it to happen. So economic collapse is going to be the absolute only way that this happens. And that's what I'm predicting. I'm predicting an, a, a full-scale economic collapse that 
means we no longer have health care. We no longer have the public services that we that we have now, that we can no longer service the debt. Canadians can no longer service debt. And when you have that much anger and and fear and strife, things don't stay the same. They change. Yeah, no, I see. I'm willing to go that far with you. Yeah, there's certainly going to be a lot of economic pain, and if all, yeah, Canada it, is going to have. If Canada goes bankrupt, it doesn't stay together. Period. Maybe, maybe not. I guess I'll, I'll let you have that prediction. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to go all the way down that road with you. Like I say, I mean, I would be happy to see Canada break up, but not under, you know, a collapsing circumstance. So on that road, um, there's been talks about Justin Trudeau possibly calling a snap election. Now, that's not his decision to make. Uh, The government would actually have to collapse first, and there's enough leftist parties in the House of Commons that will continue to prop up the government. So how do you see Mr. Trudeau engineering his own demise in order to create a snap election before the Conservatives have a new leader or at least have that leader in place long enough to make an impact? Well, I don't think that he needs to orchestrate his own demise. Um, He just has to go to the uh, Governor General and ask her, to dissolve government. Uh, he does, but he has to make a case for why why that is needed. And just because I want a majority isn't really grounds for dissolving parliament. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he did. He appointed Julie Payette. So, and, he's, and she's never struck me as someone who has really taken the job 100% seriously. So, oh God, no, so she hasn't. I, I don't know that she wouldn't just give it to him because he asked for it. Um, the, the thing that I, that I see, I, there's so much weird stuff going in Ottawa right now. Like, oh, yeah. Have you ever <laughs> seen, have you ever seen a party threaten the governing party by saying, if you don't give us what we want, we're going to make everybody go back to work. <laughs> and, that's what, and that's what they're doing right now. That's what they're doing right now. Yep. Jagmeet Singh and the NDP. Actually, it started with um, Bl- uh, Blanchette, right? Bl- yep. uh, Blanchette said, if you don't give us these four things, I think it was four, uh, then we're going to make everybody come back to the house of Commons. you know, we're going to make everybody go back to work. And Justin Trudeau didn't really, didn't really go for it. Uh, but the NDP Jagmeet Singh said, you give, you make sure that every single Canadian gets 10 days of paid sick leave a year and we'll vote to keep, everybody out of the house of commons yeah and i uh i have such a problem with that because and there was actually brought up on whichever newscaster i was listening to 
did say that, well, I mean, and sick leave is a, a matter of provincial jurisdiction, but this is a case where the feds could certainly override that in, and I mean, in the national interest. And I was like, can you stop right there? I'm so sick of our constitution getting treaded on and shredded up. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, I've always been a, a provincial rights kind of guy. Anybody who's known me, I mean, you've known me for almost 22 years now. And as far as I'm concerned, we should stick right to the letter of what our provincial responsibility are and tell Ottawa to get the hell out. And and yet one more area where the media laptops are saying, oh, yeah, no, just just walk over the provinces and that, that, then you could go ahead and do a national sick time. Double barrel, middle finger to you. No, thank you. Yeah, and I mean, I'm a small business owner. There is no way in hell I can afford that. Well, no, especially when you've got you got four employees. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, good luck. I mean, that's either you're going to cut their pay so you can so you can guarantee them sick time, or you're going to cut an employee. That neither helps the economy. You know what happens right now? I don't offer paid sick days. And you know what happens right now? None of my employees ever get sick. Exactly. And <laughs> if they do if they do get sick, I will generally because it happens so rarely, I'll give it to them. I'll pay them. But yeah, well, and you can tell that they're sick, right? Yeah, and it's and it happens extremely rarely that they get sick. Yet, when I worked for other people, and those companies offered sick days, you know what happened? Almost every single employee took their sick day every month. Well, I know there was a study a few years back, and it was comparing uh, – civil servants to private sector office workers in comparable positions as much as they can do that. And the sick time taken by civil servants who've got paid sick time with their unionized contracts took on average, it was like 1.5 or 1.75 sick days to every one for people in the, in the private sector. Yeah. And I said, well, of course they do because yeah, they're getting full pay in the sick days and they've got, they accumulate them at the rate of whatever. I mean, each union contract is different. I know with uh, some people, I know it's 1.5 sick days a month or something like that. So it's uh, quite generous. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, and I mean, it's when you, when you have a company that doesn't offer paid sick days, their employees generally don't get sick. And it, yeah. so it's, it's, a, it's amazing how that happens. Yeah. Now, uh, you brought up uh, how Yves Francois Blanchet threatened to send everybody back to Parliament. That's exactly what Andrew Scheer and the Conservative Party wants to have happen, is get everybody back to Parliament. And uh, those of you in Canada who heard my rant uh, last week saying, yeah, get to work. And that's exactly what Andrew Scheer wants. And... I think a lot of Canadians think it's time, but as you pointed out, Justin Trudeau is having so much fun doing his 15 minute pressers every day and taking another, what is it? Five minutes of questions from select media outlets and then crawling back into his cave for the day. So it's, it's going to be hard to convince him to try and get out of COVID spokesman mode, but it's time. It's time to get back to work. Yeah. And you know, I found this interesting. I read an article from the Post Millennial and it broke down the percentages of uh, the of of which 
news outlets got to ask the prime minister questions. Yeah, I think I read that one too. And I believe CBC was over 60% of the questions. Yep, and then HuffPost was quite high on the list too, if I'm not mistaken. HuffPost, I think, was third after CTV. And CTV only had like 18% or 20%. And then HuffPost had almost the rest. Like, what's going on here? Like, we have no, we don't have uh, an independent and free media in this country anymore because the only ones getting to ask questions are the ones that receive funding from the government. It seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, CTV, CTV says they don't get any funding from the government, but maybe they don't, but they sure do prop that government up. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and the Huff, I mean, Huffington post is, as much a propaganda machine as any uh, as any fake media outlet could be, and yeah, I mean they're just left wing activists. Oh really. God, are they ever like it, you want you read an article on the Huff Post and you want to sh- blow your brains out? Like it's it's some of the stuff they say is absolutely asinine, and it. Yeah, it is, although I've got to give credit to Althea Raj, and she's our Ottawa bureau chief. She does appearances on the on the CPAC morning podcasts today in politics, and she actually is pretty level-headed when she does her interviews with Mark Sutcliffe there. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's she she would be the, you know, probably the only shining light in that office, but I, I will at least give credit that HuffPost has one somewhat sane voice. I mean, she's obviously left-wing, but she's still at least talks good enough game that I actually have some respect for her. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know anything about her to be quite honest. It's just every Huff, Huffington Post article I've read about Canadian politics is as if it was somebody who's never read our constitution, never read our bill of rights and oh, totally, freedoms yeah. and never, and doesn't know Canadian law. And it's, it's just, it's insane. Yeah, no, they might as well be. A lot of them might just as well be Cubans or Venezuelans. I I agree with you there. Oh, so, yeah, God, yeah, or I mean, or Chinese. I mean, the way they, yeah. the way that they defend uh, tyrannical fascist dictators is unbelievable. It really is. Yeah, it's, I don't really get it. So. And and I mean, you see that in a lot of of the media outlets, including media outlets that claim to be uh mainstream and you know reputable like the globe and mail or the toronto star or the cbc you know i mean it it's quite it's quite shocking and maddening when you see the kind of support that those media outlets give places like venezuela or cuba or China and and the actions of our prime minister. Yeah, very frustrating, isn't it? Extremely. All right, so we've got about nine minutes to go. You had, did you have one other topic? Because I've got a couple more to jump on if you don't. No, no, I kind of got my my stuff out of the way there. So, okay, so here's when we'll we'll 
bat down quickly and then I'll jump into another one after that. There was the president of an electoral association for the Conservative Party of Canada in the Quebec riding of Pontiac. Now, I did not catch his name, but this gentleman from Pontiac suggested that the Conservative Party of Canada leadership race actually needs one more candidate. And that candidate is dun, da, da, dun, Stephen Harper. <laughs> oh. And I thought, A, why the hell would Mr. Harper even want the job? Uh, you know, considering how harsh the media, harshly, I should say, the media treated him. And I mean, people who've listened to this show uh, long enough know that I continually refer to Mr. Harper as Canada's greatest living prime minister. I'd love to have him back, but I don't see any scenario where he would be at all interested. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. I, I would love to see him back. Um, but again, I, I don't know why he would. I mean, he's having a, a pretty successful career post uh, politics and yeah. um, and I don't see why he would put himself through the the agony uh, that that the media and Canadians to be quite honest put him through last time yeah and what's sad is he would actually be a very good captain to steer this ship through the financial doom that we are about to uh, embark upon yeah but yeah, I, 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 I think he would not touch that with a ten foot pole. No, and I, and I don't blame him. I mean, it, no, the, not the, at all. The thing with the thing with Stephen Harper is, is that he would be the best person to lead us through this because uh, he he isn't emotional the way Justin Trudeau is. He doesn't rule by emotion. He rules by facts and by. Uh, you know, what's actually happening, not how he feels that day. And that's a good point. And that would be, that's what we need right now. We need someone who's calm, cool, collected, and actually wants to go to work. Yeah. And you know, and uh, what's funny is, and full disclosure, I am no longer a member of the Conservative Party of Canada, so I don't have a stake in the, uh, the leadership race, but after the, this talk about Stephen Harper being the best man for the job made me think that, you know, if not Harper, I actually have now come around to think that Peter McKay probably is the next best thing. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've been, I've been feeling that way for a while. Um, I, the biggest problem is, is that if Justin Trudeau does call a snap election, somehow finds a way to, you know, have his government fall, but on like a, uh, some kind of legislation or that, or, or something that, that is really popular with left-wing Canadians. Um, so that he can go into the election saying we need a majority so that we can pass that legislation. Uh, right. Then I think, uh, Peter McKay is the only choice. And the reason I say that is because if if there's an election this year, the Conservatives need a leader whose name is instantly recognizable, someone that Canadians already know. And despite the fact that Aaron O'Toole is really smart, really well-spoken, and 
uh, has been in government for quite a while. Uh, nobody knows who he is. And we don't have time for Canadians to get to know who he is. And so that really leaves Peter McKay as the only choice. I, I see people talking about, uh, uh, oh, what's her name? Le- is it Leslie? Leslie Lewis, yeah. Leslie Lewis, yeah. yeah. Um, but she has failed to even win her seat twice. So how could she possibly lead or be the leader of a, of a party that she can't even win her own seat? Yeah, good point. I mean, I've uh, I can't say I'm really hot nor cold on Leslie Lewis. I I have read some things about her. I mean, she seems like she's a very smart lady, and she seems genuine and like you know wants to serve, obviously. But yeah. I can't I can't disagree with anything you just said about Peter McKay. I mean, everybody knows who he is. He's well respected on both sides of the aisle, and. When you talked about Stephen Harper being, you know, calm and collected, Peter McKay was his deputy leader. Yeah. So he's got the experience to lead us through another recession because he was there for the last one. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's how I feel about it anyway. I mean, I, I really I agree with you, Peter McKay. But like you, I'm not a member of the Conservative Party and I don't have a say in this leadership race. Yeah, so it's... Uh, so any CPC members listening, I guess you, uh, you, you've you got our endorsement for Peter McKay at any rate. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, I wish there was another choice. I really do. And I wish, and I wish, like, someone of substance, like a Lisa Raitt. Um, oh, my man, yeah. Or a Pierre Poiliev. Um, I, I just, I really wish there was another choice because Peter McKay isn't my first choice. And, uh, but... Um, I also, I also wish there was another political party to choose from too, because the political parties we've got, I'm really disappointed in, um, the conservatives feel like they have no direction and which is why they need a permanent leader. And they should have moved the, uh, the leadership, uh, vote up, not back. And, exactly. uh, because they, they don't have any direction. They don't have a plan. The, the, party feels like it's just going all over the place like there's there's no arrow like they're not they need to go they need to be like like an arrow and just go straight they know what they want they've got their goals they've got their message but they don't have that and uh and it's i mean i think it it, uh, something that really is a good example of them not having a clear direction and a clear message is that they're, like the other federal political parties, they all uh, used the uh, federal wage subsidy to pay their employees, and and that that I was I was extremely disappointed in because they're supposed to be different. the The conservative party is supposed to be different. Yeah, that's right. And in this case, it was the Bloc Québécois who was the only party that did not choose to use the wage subsidy, which blows my mind. But uh, that doesn't mean I'll have any more respect for Francois Blanchet because I still think he's a jerk. But the only way that the Conservative Party of Canada, in its current form, has that, that arrow, as you say, 
is when they're in the House of Commons because everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but many people will agree that Andrew Scheer is very good in question period. He's very good in the House. And the fact that the House hasn't been sitting, Mr. Scheer is not getting himself in front of cameras, in front of the media to make his own statements to at least counteract or at least get himself heard when Justin Trudeau was heard every day. So for that reason alone, we need the House of Commons to resume. Yeah, and I also think that the that the Conservatives made a mistake by not replacing him with a temporary leader. Um, I mean, when the Liberals uh, had their leadership step down before Justin Trudeau became leader, they they uh, they brought in you know someone who had very good name recognition and all of that to be their temporary leader. Uh, the Conservatives did it the last time with uh, Rona Ambrose. And, right, yeah. And, I mean, they should have done that again because because Andrew Scheer has no teeth. I mean, he's, he's a lame duck leader because he's already stepped down, but he's still there until they pick a new leader. And it's, he, he, just, he doesn't have any real power or influence anymore. And that's why the party is aimless right now so yeah so if we could turn back time could you imagine if pierre polyev had been the interim leader oh god they would just, they, they would just throw their hands up in the air and say we give up just make pierre the permanent leader don't even have yeah. a, don't even have a, a vote i mean and if, yeah. and if anybody wants to see what we're talking about just go to pierre polyev's uh facebook page or his twitter account and just watch the videos he posts of himself in question period. Yeah, then I think all of Canada would understand why I have such a man crush on him. I mean, uh, and I think, and I think anybody who doesn't pay very close attention, if they watch those videos, would understand why the Liberals are completely inept and need to go. Yeah, another good point. And speaking of needing to go, we've reached our time. So uh, probably a good note to, to uh, end it on there with uh, saying, come on, Pierre, please. But yeah, it's too, that ship has unfortunately sailed. And I do understand why he has chose, he chose not to run. But um, yeah, I certainly hope when the next opportunity comes around, he will consider it more. So I think he will. I really hope he does. Yeah, yeah I hope so as well. But, but all right, Canada, well, thank you for tuning in uh, for another night. Um, look forward to uh, another rant or two this week because I know I've got one bubbling already. So, and I imagine Lewis probably will too because we're going to hear a lot more on the Hong Kong situation as the, in the coming days. That's right, yeah. So, so, uh, so when, I'm until we meet again, Canada? Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Go. <laughs> Sorry, there was a little confusion there, but. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to, I was just saying, I'm signing off from uh, BC here and, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, Canada. Until next time. Good night.